The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. Oh, Peep just jumped up. She's here. Hello. Hey, girl. Are you meow? <laughs> she Give us some meow. Time. Now she's having a silent protest, I suppose. <laughs> She'll meow later when I don't want her to. So, yeah, that distracted me. We're back. We're here. Um, it's hot out. I have heartburn. We're thriving. <laughs> How was your murder mystery party. I purposefully didn't ask you about it so we could have a genuine conversation about it on here. It was really fun. It was such a good weekend. <clears throat> we, um, like, so we have, how it actually worked was so, like, we obviously buy the murder mystery pack type thing and then it gives you, like, everyone gets this little script that you've got to read in different sections for your character. But then the way, which I never really thought about it, but the way that the murderer is kind of decided or picked is it's, like, literally random out of a hat. So when mm. you get your script, it's like, if you are the murderer, read this. If you are not the murderer, read this. So uh, it was clever. It was really, really, really good fun. Everyone really got into the spirit. Some of the costumes were amazing. It was really, really, really good. Did you bring both stethoscopes? Yes, I had my double, my double stethoscopes, my tongue depressors. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was amazing. Like one, one girl, her name was <clears throat> Misty Vision. So she was like a psychic with a crystal ball. And um, what else was there? There was a maid. I can just try to remember all the outfits. It was really, really, really fun. It was like if you're looking for something different to do, absolutely, I would recommend getting something similar. How many people, like what's the minimum you think? Um, you could- I don't know if there is a minimum, but I feel like probably you could do it with four people. I think we had 12 or 13, but I feel like you could definitely do it with less. It was just obviously more fun with more because then you have less chance of, I guess, picking who the murderer is. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't really have two because <laughs> then you would know. You could probably maybe make do with three, I don't know, but yeah, it was really, really good. And we had, like it was a big weekend, we had a tennis tournament, a hobby horse tournament, and the place we stayed, it was actually in an area called Kangaroo Valley, which I know like seems self-explanatory, but I have never in my life seen so many kangaroos, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And at one point they were all bounding. We were like, it's like Jurassic Park. It was the, it I, was. I wish I had had my cam- my phone there at that time to get a video because it was wild i when you posted about it i thought it was like um not like a reservation what are they called like a animal like sanctuary type thing where they were all no it's just literally like these people because we stayed at the at the house of one of the girls in my book club her aunt so they like stay there a lot it's literally just in your backyard like when i say backyard it's a very rural area it's not like a suburban place where there's houses right next to each other yeah there's a a lot of yard yeah but essentially it is still their backyard and they're just everywhere like every time you'd look there'd be more kangaroos and even in the distance you're like is that a rock or a kangaroo because there was like 100 in this paddock so that's crazy probably like a a dumb question but i've seen videos where kangaroos can be aggressive yeah like do you have to worry about them or they'll just like leave you alone unless you like i wouldn't they they generally leave you alone like but the thing is when they because they they're often kind of bent over like so they've got their bottom legs yeah but when they stand up they are enormous like a lot of them are enormous you can still get little ones but a lot of them are enormous and they are quite intimidating when you stand up like we we like when we go down south which is where we go for our holidays a lot of the time there are kangaroos down there not this many but there are still some kangaroos and where where that is is residential so the kangaroos i guess are a little bit more tame 
Um, they don't care if you kind of come up to them. Some of them will let you pat them. Like I'm not recommending this, but we have done it in the past. <laughs> Whereas here, I feel like the kangaroos were a lot wilder. So like anytime we kind of even went near whereabouts they were, they would go away. Yeah. So um, like, I don't know, I'm assuming it's probably not recommended to pat a kangaroo. Generally, they are pretty friendly like at reserves and stuff here like wildlife parks you can feed them like you can buy kangaroo food and feed them so they are you know generally okay but I guess there are some aggressive ones I have seen fights and where they attack like dogs and stuff like that I saw a video of a guy like saving his dog that was (laughs) getting attacked by a kangaroo and that kangaroo like stood up it was fucking ripped it was like it had like a six um, and because I guess they do bound, like their tail would be so strong because it's like that's literally I think how they jump. They kind of bounce, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, some of them are enormous and very very muscular. Like I wouldn't recommend just going up to them, but the smaller ones are fine. <laughs> <laughs> the small ones that you can overpower, it's mm. fine. I did see a lot of wildlife this weekend. Like I, was, I saw a wombat, which I haven't seen in the wild for a very long time. Um, oh. Yeah, it's cool. What about like kookaburras? Oh, kookaburras are everywhere. Like <laughs> even we get them at our house now. They're so funny. Like we went for a walk the other night, me and my husband, and you just – because you, I don't know if you've heard the sound they make. It's out, it says like they laugh. It actually does yeah. sound like they're cackling at you. Um, but yeah. so many. Like we always have them and they're so cute because they're quite fluffy. Like they're a weird fluffy-looking bird. I, they're cute. They I've seen pictures. Cute. Yeah, I've seen them we, at maybe the Bronx Zoo. They've had them, I'm sure. <laughs> That's so funny because, like, literally, we have hundreds of kookaburras near where we live. What's well, how like uh, with us and squirrels and raccoons and stuff? Oh, no. and- I saw the squirrels when we were in New York City, and I was so excited. I was like taking videos for the kids because we don't get squirrels. <laughs> yeah, like when I would send a picture or talk about the Kendall, who lives in Australia, for those who don't know, would be like, "Oh my god, a squirrel!" <laughs> I was like, "Bitch, these are squirrels. They're everywhere." I still always love seeing a squirrel when I'm over there. Like, it just blows my mind. I remember when I was in LA and I saw some squirrels and, like, the power lines. I'm like, what is going on? I get excited when we see, like, an all-black squirrel because there's not as many around where I live. But Ooh. there'll be an occasional one. Very mysterious. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so it was good. It was a big weekend. A lot of champagne. <laughs> a lot of food. But it was good fun. Last night, I went to a Renegades game. They're, like, a Yankees minor league team in the stadiums down the road for me so mike and i'll sometimes just go and you have nothing to do cause it's like 20 bucks for a ticket like really close to the front so it's just cheap and something to do but there was like a chance of rain but we were watching the radar and it seemed like maybe it was gonna rain a little but anytime they say it's gonna rain here it always misses us or it's not that bad i don't know if it's because of where the hudson river is and it just dissipates the storms we're like oh it'll be fine so we went and it started pouring and we like ran and everyone had to hide and get out of the rain. <laughs> but there's like not that many places to get out of the rain. So everyone has to go like under where the seats are. Oh my God. I, I saw the video. That was wild rain. And yeah. So everyone has to like pack in. It it's legit like crowd crush. And of course where I was, the rain started, it was windy also. So it was like raining sideways. So I was like still getting hit with the rain anyways. And then after the first time it stopped and we all went back and the game went on for like four more innings. And then they warned us, they're like, oh, we think it might rain again in a few minutes. So just be ready. We're like, okay. It was getting darker and there's like a huge streak of lightning that went like across the sky and we're all like, ah! <laughs> so everyone like ran and took cover again. And that was when it was raining. Like the videos that you saw that I was sending you, it was raining so hard. Like it does not rain like that that much here. 
and especially not it was rained for a long time i feel like a half hour of just heavy rain it was like flooding and every the kids were crying because oh, it was like thundering and lightning so they were oh. all scared i was like this is one of those situations where they're in a movie or something they'd be like a pop of tornado and we'd all just be like fucked <laughs> it was <laughs> crazy but then they suspended the game after that so get tickets to another game but well that's good it was it was exciting i had drink i had just gotten drinks right before it started pouring again so i had like one of the taller cans of a seltzer so i was just drinking hanging out people were like running to their cars but our car was so far away that i was like i'm just waiting here until the rain stops (laughs) i'm not running to my car imagine how wet you would have gotten oh yeah and i was after the second time i was in a better spot where it wasn't really getting that wet so there's also a lot of literally like infant babies i was like why are all these babies here it was um big weekend i guess (laughs) yeah i mean that was really all i did i did a lot of nothing that was just random say i walked down the road went to a distillery had a drink got some dumplings scarf them down i have heartburn so guess we'll get into the episode we did do a little patreon episode last week about the crazy mushroom australia case depending on what happens with that we'll maybe do like a real full episode it's kind of dropped out a little bit of the news like i think we recorded that on what day was it thursday our time my time so it's kind of dropped out of the news a little bit like it was all over the news but nothing really seems to have much happened so essentially it's not really a crime yet. didn't she like go missing <laughs> yeah well that was i think that might have been a daily mail article where you know they like to exaggerate whereas missing for them would probably be just she wouldn't answer the door <laughs> so as far as i know she's not really missing but um yeah yeah nothing yet has really happened more from that if you're not aware of what it is, but basically this woman had her two in-law, ex-in-laws and these other two elderly people over and three out of those four have now passed away. One needs a liver transplant to survive because they apparently ingested poisonous death cap mushrooms. And somehow the lady, her name's Erin Patterson, somehow she and her two kids were the only ones who didn't get sick, which seems quite um, coincidental. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Like, <clears throat> I feel like definitely more things have to happen. They just obviously need to get their ducks in a row. Yeah, so we just did a little quick Patreon episode about the story so far, but there hasn't really been much going on. So like I said, maybe we'll do a real episode on that or like similar poisoning type cases coming up. So if you don't have Patreon, don't be too sad, but you should join (laughs) it. It's cool and fun. (laughs) All right, well, let's get into this episode. The case we're going to talk about today is Lauren Dickerson. In 2021, she murdered her three young daughters. Um, the, like the fact that she actually did murder them isn't under debate. She did, but it's whether or not what her mental state was at the time and what she should essentially be charged with or if she should be given psychiatric help. That's where we're at with the case now. But it was an um, interesting case because both she and her husband were doctors who had both immigrated from South Africa to New Zealand. Like it was a very, um, I don't know what the word is. Like it was an unusual case because she was a medical doctor. They had resources and still this, you know, obvious tragedy was able to happen. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's a little similar to Lindsay Clancy in a way that we also did an episode on. But the jury is... Yeah, so we've mixed it up a little bit this weekend because I was away. So we usually record on a Friday. It's now Monday morning here in Australia and New Zealand. 
So the jury, the closing arguments were given on Friday and today the judge is going to wrap up and the jury will start deliberating. So depending on how long it takes, we might have an update before this episode comes out. But for example, we did the other episode too on Lucy Letby, who was the nurse who apparently murdered all the babies in England. They have been deliberating for over two weeks now. Oh my God. So I, I don't know how long it will take. I, like, I feel like this one probably won't take as long, but well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I'm surprised the Lindsay Clancy one is... I mean, the uh, Lucy Letby. The Lucy Letby. All these like L names. Um, yeah. They've been deciding for that long. I feel like with hers, it's because there are actually so many charges. Like, so maybe she would be, like, I think she, if I remember off the top of my head, she's been charged with seven murders of the babies and 10 attempted murders. So mm-hmm. I guess 17 charges like that would be a lot to deliberate. The judge came back in that case, I think last week, and said that they only need a majority vote now for the jury, whereas I guess before it was meant to be unanimous. But now they can go with the majority. So I feel like surely this coming week there'll be something happening in that too. All right. Well, let's get in to this one. This father's memories of the sickening moment he realised his three little girls were gone laid bare. I just um, want to take you back, unfortunately, to September of 2021. The jury were played a three-hour video of police questioning the father of Liane, Maya and Carla the day after they were killed. We weren't permitted to record the interview, but it showed Graham Dickerson hunched over, holding his head in his hands. He talked about how when he returned home that night, his wife was acting strangely and wobbling, nearly falling over in their kitchen. I asked her if she's okay. She didn't really reply and I asked her, what's the matter? And she told me, it's too late. He asked too late for what? Before realising something was very wrong. He rushed to the girls' rooms, lifting their duvets from their faces. They were white. I screamed their names, checked, grabbed their shoulders. I think I could see in the colour of their faces that was futile. He asked his wife what she'd done, but he said she didn't respond. The last time I saw Lauren, she was lying on her back with her eyes closed. Wasn't sure if she was alive or dead. Lauren Ann Dickerson allegedly killed her three daughters, six-year-old Liane and two-year-old twins Maya and Carla at her home in Timaru, New Zealand. Um, So we'll start some background into the family. We believe that Lauren married Graham Dickerson in 2006 and they celebrated their their 15-year wedding anniversary on May 1st, 2021. Most of their social media has been removed. At the time, Lauren wrote a post about their anniversary and thanked Graham for the beautiful family they had created, but mentioned sleepless nights saying, quote, may the next years be more blessed, more happy, and may the kids let us sleep. The couple are originally from Pretoria in South Africa. When they were living there and pre-children, Lauren worked as a doctor and Graham as an orthopedic surgeon. So they're very highly educated, very successful couple, it seems. It's weird because, like, Lindsay Clancy also worked in the medical field. (laughs) Lauren has a long history of depression and anxiety. This started when she was around 15 years old. Graham has spoken about struggles that Lauren faced when she was younger. He said she had a lot of problems at school with her teachers and friends. According to her, she was not popular. She was in an all-girls school. She was never invited to a dance or the prom. She had a lot of social traumatic memories from a young age. When the couple decided to have children, they faced infertility. Lauren ended up needing 17 rounds of IVF, and she had to use donor eggs. In 2013, she had her first child named Sarah, who had to be born after 18 weeks of pregnancy. 
and she died shortly after. The couple ended up having three more daughters, Liane and twins, Maya and Carla. Graham spoke about the couple's fertility journey. He said, a lot of ups and downs during a fertility journey, but there's always an underlying concern. Tension, expectations. Tension and expectations, he said. Definitely influences your daily life. There is a lot of financial implications. There is a lot of hope and subsequent disappointments. Said, I don't think it's an easy period of time for any woman who goes through it. A journey like that definitely goes with periods of feeling concerned, feeling unsure, and then also physically, it can have an effect on your body. It was definitely a bit of a roller coaster of emotions and feelings. I think that was a very difficult period for both of us, and it was not a nice time. Lauren was pregnant finally after so much time and so many disappointments, and initially it went well. We were in a period of our lives where we had a lot of hope. You make plans, you look forward to a lot of things. After Liane was born and she was healthy, that initial period was just a big relief in a sense of finally achieving what we'd been working so hard for. 17 rounds of IVF is a lot. Like I... Like I know some people who have been through IVF and they have been lucky enough to have to just do a few cycles. 17 would be so taxing and tolling, I can't even imagine. I've heard it makes you feel like pretty just sick and awful yeah. too. Yeah, it's like it's, the whole thing is a like it can be excruciating for some people, the hormones, the emotions, it would be a lot. And then doing that 17 times, that's... And it's expensive. Oh, gosh, yeah. Liane was the first grandchild on Dickinson's side of the family. Graham recalled, everybody loved her and she was the most pretty girl you'd ever seen. It was nice to have a baby in the house. So when they lived in South Africa, they had a nanny for the kids. In one of Lauren's posts on Facebook, a month or two before she left South Africa, she had posted a photo of the nanny and highly recommended her, praising her for the significant role she had played in helping bring up the children. Graham spoke about the family dynamic. And just to note, all of pretty much all of Graham's quotes that we've been saying have come out after the murders and interviews. Yeah, they kind of weren't documented like her social, like Lauren's social media, and Lauren made some comments and messages to friends prior to the murders. But we've only learned all of this from Graham after and during the trial, essentially. So he said, Lauren would always make sure that there were clean clothes, food to eat. She always made sure the kids always made sure the kids were where they needed to be. She was not a nurturing mother. The kids preferred me. Not so much Liane anymore because she's a big girl, but the twins definitely preferred me. So she was struggling with motherhood, and I think I compensated for that by giving the kids everything they needed on a social level. She verbalized on multiple occasions that she doesn't seem to think she's a good mother. I've always reassured her maybe that was a mistake. She was not one that would like to pick them up or just be with them or cuddle. She was very good in organization. Her organizational skills are exceptional, but she could never just enjoy them. Liane was not a great sleeper and Lauren suffered from postnatal depression. Graham said, Lauren was an extremely good mother, but she admitted more than once to me that the baby part is not her favorite phase. You do a lot of things, but you don't get a lot of feedback. Her joy was more in the toddler phase. I think the first year with Liane was not her favorite part, but I think she was very effective in handling it. Over the years, Lauren spoke to Graham three times with concerns about hurting the children. This info is from the New Zealand Herald. Graham said, The first incident was roughly in May 2019. It was a normal night. The night nanny came. Lauren was helping with settling down the twins. When she came back into the main kitchen area, I could see that she was crying and she looked anxious. I immediately asked her what's wrong. I cannot remember the exact words, but she said she felt like she could do something to the babies. She didn't specify what she meant. 
I sat with her and tried to calm her down. She was crying. I phoned her mother, who immediately came over, and we just tried to talk to Lauren and find out what was bothering her. From there, Lauren went and saw a psychiatrist and was told that she likely had postpartum depression. She continued having treatment and took medication. Graham suspected the, quote, anxiety attack was a combination of sleepless nights and fatigue and frustrations with the children who did not sleep well. Graham said, I don't recall there were any other issues at that stage. She improved, definitely. Lauren seemed to have less anxiety, and she seemed to have a good relationship and was functioning well with the children after that. Then the second incident was in July 2021, and the couple were working towards emigrating, which he said was a very stressful time. She had a, quote, severe anxiety attack and mentioned she could make an end to it all. Graham said, when I inquired further, she said she feels like she can sedate the children and cut their femoral arteries so it can just all be over. He said he wasn't worried about her doing it, but more worried about why she was saying that. He said, Lauren is not a violent person. It was the first time I'd ever heard her say anything like that. I feel like that was what she said was so oddly specific that specific. I would have been like, uh, what? It's like she's obviously thought of a way that would work. It's not like she's saying I could just marry these children like I'm at my wit's end. She's actually yeah. thought, planned out or you know, had been thinking about an actual method to do it. And it was like two things, like sedating them and then cutting their femoral arteries. I do think Graham was very complacent in a lot of things. It I, seems. Like I, I'm not sticking up for him, but I do also believe that you would probably never think your partner could do something like this. But I do agree. There were red flags that were ignored. Yeah, and it just goes to show how even as like yeah, he's a he works in ortho, but even as someone who works in healthcare, how undereducated people can be with mental health stuff and red flags and what to be on the lookout for, especially with uh postpartum depression and even just regular depression in general, like not everyone is aware to that like sleeping all the time could be a sign of depression, not having interest in activities could be a sign of depression. Saying you're going to murder your children multiple times could be a red flag. Graham asked Lauren to see her doctor again and said that the next morning, every thing kind of seemed back to normal. He said, I didn't take any further action. I connected it to her anxiety attack. And I feel like saying this is an anxiety attack is kind of minimizing what she's actually going through yeah. in a way. Because like she's not having an anxiety attack. I don't know. I feel like he's trying to say that to make it seem like it wasn't it's not as bad as it was yeah the third incident was when the family were staying with graham's mother before they moved to new zealand he said lauren came to me out of the blue i believe her words were i'm having that feeling again i told her to immediately take her anti-anxiety meds and it was a much lesser incident graham got a job in 2021 as an orthopedic surgeon at timaru hospital in new zealand so the family decided to move Graham said South Africa is, quote, a beautiful place, but there were many polit political and racial issues. He said the current situation in South Africa is that white people are heavily in the minority and it's dangerous. There's a lot of crime and a lot of people getting hijacked, killed, murdered, innocent people. The country is going backwards in terms of infrastructure, electricity supply. The land value has dropped significantly over the last couple of years. There's a lot of people emigrating from South Africa all over the world, especially people like us with young children, to try to secure a better quality of life. There are a lot of South Africans who do emigrate to Australia and New Zealand. I'm not entirely sure why. I think maybe because the lifestyle is similar-ish. You know, it's not like a massive 
culture shock in terms of some of the things, but we do have, like, I know a lot of South Africans live in here, so I, I feel like a lot of them do emigrate to both those countries. He said his job offer was a good polling point. He also said she was always on board. In fact, she drove this immigration. She wanted it. Graham later spoke about stressors that the family faced at the time. He said, we had to pack up the house, pack a container, and we moved into my mom's house with the kids and our suitcases. We were only supposed to stay for four or five days and then fly out to New Zealand, but Lauren also had a foot operation, which she would have had earlier, but it was delayed due to COVID restrictions at the hospital. And just prior to that, we had severe riots in South Africa where there was severe looting going on, political unrest, and she was very scared. There was nothing close to her house, but she was very, very scared. I think it was a lot at one time. And then while at my mom's, we went for our pre-flight COVID test, and my one daughter tested positive, and that forced us to be in isolation for two weeks at my mom's place, which we didn't anticipate. During that time, she really struggled. She didn't eat much. She didn't have a lot of conversation with anybody. She was really stressed. So if you remember 2021, this was peak COVID time still, and New Zealand had some of the strictest quarantine laws in the world. I remember even here where it wasn't. I mean, New York, it was pretty strict at times, but still nowhere close to New Zealand. But there was times just with all the COVID stuff going on, all the uncertainty in the world. Here, there was also a lot of political unrest as well. I mean, I wasn't scared. Thankfully, it wasn't a situation like that. But even with like the January 6th riots and all that going on, Black Lives Matter protests versus the anti-Black Lives Matter people. It was just such a time where everything was stressful. And then on top of her dealing with all of that and actually living in a place where she felt scared and then having to be in quarantine and she was already feeling depressed, I could see how that could easily make someone feel very run down and in a bad place. Yeah. So when they arrived in New Zealand, the family spent two weeks in a quarantine hotel. Just to interrupt quickly then, like I know some people who did the whole quarantine hotel thing with kids. One of my friends moved back from LA to Sydney um, in COVID and had to do it. And sometimes you literally got a hotel room, like one room for four or five people. You were in there for 10 days or two weeks or however long the quarantine period was at the time. Sometimes if you were lucky, you may get like a two-bedroom apartment you literally cannot go outside. Some of them didn't even have opening windows. Like I know it's, it is a first world problem because you have a safe place to sleep, I guess. But like a lot of those things with kids, it would be a lot. It, it wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't be 24-7 in the same room. It's a lot. Even alone, it would be hard. So I couldn't imagine with children that you have to try to entertain somehow and can't get away from. And can't get them outside to run off the energy and things like that. Like it would be a nightmare. So they have to quarantine for two weeks twice? Well, I think, so from what I've read and what I think I've got this right is basically they were meant to fly out and they did the COVID test and they had to delay the flight by two weeks and quarantine um, back at his mother's house. So that was kind of probably not as bad. Like they would have still had the whole house and I'm guessing a yard or whatever the situation was. Whereas when they got to New Zealand, I'm pretty sure even if you test negative, you still had to quarantine because, you know, they had the incubation period. Yeah. So even if you were negative, you still had to quarantine for, depending on the amount of time, they, they had to quarantine for two weeks. So yeah, essentially they did two weeks in a house and then two weeks in a hotel. Yeah. And even I'm sure just the stress of having their trip and plans all delayed in general yeah. would be a headache. So from there, the family had planned to get settled and then Lauren planned to look for work. Graham said, 
I had lots of hope that we would integrate easily and make friends with them. And Lauren would hopefully make friends at the school with the moms. And that was my idea. I think um, they moved into housing that was just from people working at the hospital. Like the hospital has kind of a area of housing for medical professionals. So they would have been around people in the community, people who Graham would have been working with. I guess like that's kind of what I think he was hoping that they'd create their own little community. Mm. Um, He also said, I'd be working and Lauren would mainly tend to the children and we would develop from there. We always had the idea that once the kids were in school, getting some employment for Lauren. So Lauren spoke fairly often about her struggles with parenthood. In July 2021, one of her friends sent a TikTok video to her where a mother recites a poem named Mom Needs a Minute. And it's about the struggles of raising her children and the chaos inside her brain. And Lauren responded by saying, awesome, that's exactly how I feel. Lauren also told friends about her troubles with her two-year-old daughter, Carla. She said that Carla was a difficult child and that she lashed out often. Lauren said that Carla slapped and bit her. She also said that her children were never enough. She said, I love my kids, but I feel like they don't love me. I'm just their slave. Just gets me down because they always want Graham. Lauren did speak lovingly about her children on occasion. She said, Maya is the little mother, always helpful and peaceful and obedient. Carla is the firecracker. She can throw an amazing tantrum, but is also lovable and talks talks a dog out of a bush. <laughs> that, like same. I've never ever actually ever heard that statement. That's okay. before. I'm assuming so. it means that she could be very um, convincing and very. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, the saying was talks a dog out of a bush. <laughs> you didn't hear me. She and Liane are best friends. This is such a nice age. I wish they can stay this big forever. Graham spoke about Lauren's mental health struggles. He said she went on a bit of a health quest and she started exercising and she followed the program called Kazen Wellness, like a weight loss support strategy. She went on to say and she did very well on that and she felt good and she stopped the medication without me knowing about it. But there was no issues really. So Lauren had that foot surgery at one point and Graham said she was struggling and he asked if she was taking her meds. He said she verbalized that she stopped it and we immediately starred her back on it. He asked his wife on a semi-regular basis if she was taking her pills and she'd assure him that she had been. He said, to my knowledge, at the moment, she has been taking it for at least four or five weeks ago. All right. So the date of the murders was September 16th, 2021. What we now know happened is that Carla, who she was... That's the child that she mentioned was kind of her troubled child, threw a tantrum in the car on that day. The night before this, Lauren told a friend that her kids were annoying, cheeky, wild, and disobedient. She also said, I wish I could give them back and start over. Now Graham is extremely angry with me. She said instead of divorcing Graham, she would rather divorce her children. She would also later say, I've had the kids around me 24-7 with no break and it just got too overwhelming. So I have read that the day of the murders, I believe the kids maybe started school and daycare and that was the first time she'd actually been alone without the children for months. She seemed to be feeling overwhelmed because she hoped that Graham would help her unpack and get the new house in order, but he said he felt like he needed to be at the hospital. She said He said they required me to start at the hospital next week and I needed to familiarize myself. She was not very pleased with that arrangement. She was definitely taken aback and she was annoyed with me. 
So Lauren had been continually struggling with the move to New Zealand. Their house in South Africa had been modern and newly built and was large. And they were disappointed by the rental options that they found in New Zealand, which I don't know, I feel like surely that would be something you'd look into before you move to another country. But Graham said, I don't think she was too impressed with the properties they viewed. She felt that the houses were cold and run down. But also could have been because weren't they looking in like a specific place, like you were saying, like around where the hospital was? Yeah. And, you know, like, I guess it is different. Um, you know, I've lived in different countries and the housing is different in a lot of places. It's not what you're used to. It's what is in that area. So, yeah. Um, so on the night of the murders, Graham went out with colleagues and Lauren was home alone with the kids. She fed them dinner and they started to watch TV. She said at around 7 p.m. the girls started their, quote, hijinks. And that's when I just couldn't anymore. Lauren told the girls, mommy's very sick and is going to die. I can't leave you behind because I don't know who's going to look after you. Police later asked if the children had questioned Lauren about what she was doing. And she said, not the two little ones, but the oldest was very angry. And she wanted to know why I'm doing this to them because I'm the best mom and she loves me. It's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So Lauren told the three girls that they were going to make necklaces she then placed cable ties around their necks and tightened them. The children were asphyxiated and I have read that their cable ties made marks on their necks, but they didn't pass away. So Lauren cut off the cable ties and then smothered them with blankets. She tried to take her own life with a knife and pills. So Graham arrived home at around 10 p.m. that night. Neighbours first heard wailing and then a woman sobbing. Graham can be heard screaming, is this really happening? A neighbor, Jade Whaley, said the first noise we heard was someone sobbing and then we heard a loud thud like someone slammed a door. She said we could see someone through our fence wandering behind the house and wailing. Another neighbor, Karen Cowper, said we asked him if he was okay. He did not respond and he was screaming and crying hysterically. As the sun came up this morning, a quiet street in Timaru was teeming with police officers, forensic crews combing a back flat after discovering three bodies inside soon confirming the worst. The deceased were children and siblings, two aged three years and one aged seven. Just what happened is still murky. Police say the incident involved a South African family who'd arrived in Timaru just a week ago, having finished a stint in MIQ. Neighbours on both sides overheard a man wailing just before 10pm last night. He was screaming and crying, like really upset. And all we could hear him saying is, is this really happening? What's happening? Is this happening? Is this real? And he just sort of kept repeating that over and over. But it was a woman who was seen being led away to an ambulance and then to hospital. She was walking sort of hunched over like that and there was ambulance staff on each side supporting her. Jade and Rob Whaley live right next door and say the family had only just moved in. They also heard wailing, but didn't realise what happened until this morning. I just felt sick. I felt like my heart had dropped into my stomach and all I could think about, those poor people, and they were next door, and and I didn't know what was happening. So police arrived at the home. Lauren was taken to the hospital in a stable condition, and she was taken to a psych unit the following day. She was eventually charged with murdering her three daughters. So Graham did make a statement shortly after the murders and it kind of reminded me of the one that Lindsay Clancy's husband made. Mm-hmm. I'll read it out. It said, my words are few at the moment. On Thursday the 16th of September, my life and Lawrence were turned upside down when our three precious angels were ripped away from us. It is a loss that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. In this time of terrible tragedy and adversity, I can only ask for prayer for myself, my family and my friends, prayer for strength and for healing. 
please also pray for my lovely Lauren, as I honestly believe she's a victim of this tragedy as well. People that know her well will testify to that, I have no doubt. I've already forgiven her and I urge you in your own time to do the same. It is the key to healing from this loss we have all experienced. For the people touched and affected by this, look after yourself. Look after your wives, your husbands, your partners, and look after your children. For those with faith in Jesus Christ, hold on to that. For the parents with young kids, remember them. Remember them. Remember to let them run free. Remember to let them play wild and allow them to laugh. Allow them to laugh as much as they can. They are never too young to be introduced to Jesus. I thank you for your love and support. A neighbor of the couple in South Africa named Natasha spoke to the South Africa Sunday Times and she said, I cannot comprehend what has happened. She's a medical doctor and she wasn't arrogant or anything like that. She was very humble. So the murders were September 2021 and the trial started last month, July 2023. At the time of recording, it's still ongoing. So we're going to come back and do kind of a, f- a finish off of the episode in the next week once, it's, um, once there's been an outcome. But Lauren pled not guilty to the charges and she's used the defense of insanity and infanticide. Her defense lawyer is a woman named Anne Tui and Anne said all the defense experts agree that there was an altruistic motive that Lauren killed her children out of love. In her mind, she was killing them out of love and she was killing herself because she didn't want to leave them. She was so sure that this was the right thing to do that she persisted. This is about postpartum depression and a mother who killed her children. She didn't want to leave them without a mum and she didn't want them to suffer from having such a bad mother. So in terms of infanticide in relation to this case, there's some info from rnz.co.nz, which I'll read out because it kind of explains what it means. It says, some other countries also allow a manslaughter conviction where someone has a mental disorder that reduces their moral culpability. New Zealand has never had such a diminished responsibility except in relation to infanticide. Infanticide has a legalistic meaning in the courtroom. It does not mean the killing of an infant. It is an offence, though, that can only be committed by a woman and it must involve a child under the age of 10. Otherwise, it would be murder or manslaughter. So that's kind of the, you know, everyone might, if you're questioning why there was no babies involved, that is why. Um, the offence, that offence, though, carries a maximum sentence of three years in New Zealand, which isn't a great amount of time, essentially. So when the trial started, we learned more about the night of the murders. Constable William Turnbull was first on the scene and he asked for permission to enter the house. And these, this is kind of his recount of the night. He said, I looked in the room on my right and it appeared to be a child's room. I observed an adult female lying across the end of the bed. He noticed the adult's female's chest was rising and falling and he delayed treating her then because he went on to the children. He said, I observed three young children in the room were all female. Two of the children were in individual beds with the sheets up around their chests and the third child was on the end of the right-hand side bed. He told police there were no signs of life from any of them. He said he went back into Lauren in the other bedroom and tried to speak to her. He said she opened her eyes and had to speak quite loudly. She had no injuries, but she seemed drowsy and was able to partially sit up. He said she kept closing her eyes like she wanted to sleep. I told her she needed to keep her eyes open and she needed to talk to me, so I knew she was okay. I found that kind of interesting because she does seem almost out of it at the time, but then the neighbours reported the woman screaming, so I'm not entirely sure if she would have been able to do that. Um, evidence about Lauren's mental health was presented at trial. A psychiatrist testified that Lauren was presenting with severe melancholic depression, and she also told one psychiatrist that she would not object to being given a lethal injection. We have learned during the trial about Lauren's Google searches. In July, at the end of July 2021, she searched for lethal dosage alprazolam in children. 
On August 14, she searched for ambient lethal dose. On August 20, most effective overdose in children. And in late August, drugs to overdose kids. There's a doctor named Dr. Suzanne Hatters-Friedman who spoke during the trial about Lauren's obsession with her inability to parent. Lauren said at one point, ever since they were born, mums feel this instantaneous love for their children and I never experienced that. I don't know what people are talking about and I think there was something wrong with me for not feeling that and I did the best I could. They definitely preferred their dad over me. The doctor said that Lauren thought she was preoccupied with her inability to parent and that she could not do another day. She just felt so desperate. She was tearful and distant, saying she didn't want to be alive. She felt disconnected to her daughters and that she was running on an empty tank all of the time. The doctor also said that Lauren had a profound sense of hopelessness and she shared an intense fear or worry that something bad was going to happen to her or her husband. For example, they would get cancer or die in a car accident, said the doctor. Uh, During the trial, we learned that Lauren told doctors how she was feeling in the months prior to the murders. She said, I haven't felt like I've been living in my own body. I felt dead, no feeling, and I feel like my soul has been pulled out of me. So Dr. Hatters Friedman kind of went on to say that Lauren believed this was a joint suicide and filicide, and it was a way of getting out of kind of this whole mess for her beloved children and herself, and she thought she was making her children safe. Lauren has, I'm sorry, the doctor said that having regard to the commonly accepted standards of right or wrong, it is my opinion that her disease of the mind at the time of the offending was a major depressive disorder with mood congruent psychotic features. And she conceptualized that killing the children was the right thing to do. The prosecutor uh, named Andrew McRae cross-examined the doctor and he said basically that he didn't believe that Lauren had carried the murders out of love. These are some of the points he raised about things that she'd said and things that she'd done to kind of re-emphasize his point. At one point, she said, I'm afraid I'm going to take out my own family. I just tried to not murder the twins. We probably might commit murder in that small isolation room, which is the COVID room that we were talking about in those two weeks. She said, I will murder them if everyone stays home again, like in lockdown. She told a friend once, tonight Graham and I decided that our children will not abuse and scream at us and hit us any further. From now on, they will get hidings and all their nice things will be held back until they start showing some respect. She said, maybe the twins are just in terrible twos, but fuck, they are going to kill me. I was so angry tonight. I was shaking. She also said, I feel like elastic that has been stretched and can snap at any time. The last thing that he brought up was that she said, they're little shits at the moment. I regularly want to smack mine, but Graham stops me. So there was a lot of evidence at the trial too, given about Lauren's state of mind. A doctor named Dr. Simone McLevy told about Lauren had said to her there was she wanted to end the suffering and that there was no turning back. Lauren told the doctor that her intent was to die but that Graham had gotten home too early. Uh, Lauren told the doctor that they were both at the end of their tethers and that Graham was irritated. She said it was like he was giving up. At some point she thought she deserved to die and that she thought the children deserved better. This doctor also said that there was no pre-planning and that it was very impulsive and disorganized and she left no suicide note because, quote, what I did was pretty self-explanatory. Lauren also told this doctor about how she killed the children and that she killed Carla first because she was angry at her. Carla was the one we mentioned earlier that Lauren seemed to be having the most trouble with. Mm -hmm. She said it was an out-of-body experience and I felt like I was above. So the trial continued into the second week of August. The court heard how Lauren told a psychiatrist that she was, quote, missing the kids a lot and waking up every morning was like a kick in the guts and she just wanted to die. She cried a lot and admitted struggling and said that her mood was lower than it had ever been. 
Lauren also told the psychiatrist that she wanted to go back back to South Africa and to die so she could be reunited with her children who were buried there. I don't think we've ever mentioned it in the past in this episode, but Graham has also moved back to South Africa now, which I don't blame him. He's got family there. He has nothing really left in New Zealand. Dr. Barry Walsh testified in court about how Lauren felt that she was living in a dreamlike state. The doctor said she spoke about how unsettled their lives had been and she felt that she'd been putting the girls through the torture with the shift to New Zealand. They were asking when they could see their grandparents and their friends and asking why they had moved somewhere so cold. She could not see a way out of it. Killing the children felt right and she was concerned about the future. She thought the children were better off dead. So the closing arguments were delivered in the trial on Friday, August 11. At the time of recording, it's Monday in New Zealand on August 14. So today we're going to what's going to happen. But in terms of the closing arguments, this is a summary from the New Zealand Herald. They said Lauren killed her little girls one by one, then tucked them into bed with their soft toy sheep and blankets and told them she loved them for the last time. She admits this and that the act was horrific and shocking, but her lawyer has told her, told the jury at the high court trial there is no way her actions on the day were murder. Rather, they were the actions of a deeply unwell woman who could not bear to live another day and decided to die and to protect her children and take them with her. Her lawyer, Karen Beaton KC, said her beautiful girls who she loves so much, their deaths don't have anything to do with anger or resentment and have everything to do with severe mental illness. This is the very kind of case that the law of infanticide was designed for. Whether or not she was legally insane is your decision, but I ask that you look back at the full picture. She decided to kill herself and also the girls, and I suggest that's because she was so so delusional and so disordered in her thinking. But in her mind, it was morally the right thing to do. Finally, Lauren never abused her children, never neglected them. She was a loving mother. She was severely depressed, so depressed that she was suicidal and thought it right to kill her children. She tucked them into bed and told them that she loved them one last time. Now Monday at 10 a.m., which is already now, like I think in New Zealand it would be about 11 a.m. at the time of recording, the Justice Cameron Manda will sum up the entire trial and the jury will be sent to deliberate. There are eight women and four men on the jury panel. So I guess we don't really know how long that's going to take. It could come back very quickly. If I feel like this will take a while for them to deliberate. I would be shocked if they come back today. Um, I would assume it will take at least a few days most likely. Yeah, if it comes back by the time this comes out, I'll put in a clip here. Lauren Dickerson's been found guilty of murdering her three young children at their Timaru home. After deliberating since Monday afternoon, the jury has just returned its verdict. Dickerson had been charged with murdering the girls and mounted a defence of infanticide or insanity, but the jury has not accepted her defence. Members of the jury, is it probable that you can re- reach unanimous verdicts that is one on which all 12 of you agree? No. Has the jury reached verdicts on which all of you except one juror agree? Yes. On charge one, do 11 of you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, guilty of murder, or do you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, not guilty of murder? Guilty of murder. On charge two, do 11 of you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, Guilty of murder, or do you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, not guilty of murder? Guilty of murder. On charge three, do 11 of you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, guilty of murder, or do you find the defendant, Lauren N. Dickerson, not guilty of murder? Guilty of murder. As to the majority verdicts, are those the verdicts of all but one of you? Yes. Mrs. Dickerson, uh, on each of the three charges, I formally convict you. Dickerson now faces a life sentence for the murder of each child. A sentencing date will be set for the convicted killer shortly. So I know that 
according to this case, it's infanticide. Um, filicide is basically also when a mother kills her children. There was some published, um, some sorry, there was some research published by Dr. Philip Resnick, and we've spoken about this before, but his theory on the five main motives for filicide include altruistic, fatal maltreatment, unwanted child, acutely psychotic, and spousal revenge. So I feel like in this case, it would probably fall under the psychotic. I'm not, I'm not, you know, in- indicating that she's psychotic, but I feel like this was a mental illness related um, crime, and she didn't do it to get revenge on Graham. She didn't. She seemed like maybe the unwanted child a little bit, but I feel more so for her, it was a mental health related issue. Yeah, I agree as well. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to have an opinion really because I feel like there's so much, so many nuances. She was definitely suffering from mental illness, like at least some form of depression, which she had struggled with in the past and seemed like she was pretty open about that she was struggling with it. But personally, it's always up for debate because, yes, she was depressed. But I guess the grand question is, is did she know what she was doing was wrong or was she totally out of her mind? And I think she was aware enough that she did know what she was doing was wrong. I don't think it seemed like she was having like a psychosis episode where you're just like totally in a different mindset yeah but i do think it's more of a mental illness versus like revenge type thing it's kind of like where i don't want to understand we're victim blaming or whatever because i do feel empathy for her like she obviously was struggling i'm not saying absolutely what she did was the most heinous crime i'm i'm agreeing with that still but i also feel like um i I think a lot of people ignored that she clearly needed help and was like basically asking for help and openly talked about how she was struggling and nobody really i know she was apparently seeing a doctor on medication but i just it seems like more should have been done and she was put under even more stressful situations with COVID being a thing, being in isolation multiple times, moving different countries, just like leaving people like her support system behind probably being alone with the kids all the time. Her husband was literally always working and then like would go out with co-workers afterwards and just she was with the kids like all the time. And I think if you're already mentally struggling, all those stressors definitely exasperate what you're feeling. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's not really any debate, obviously, on if she did kill the children. I think she did. I do think she knew exactly what she was doing. I feel like she was just at the end of her rope and she actually thought she had no other way out. But then I guess it comes down to taking responsibility for your actions. And I feel in this case too because, you know, and I'm generalizing a little bit, but, you know, they were very successful people. They had money. You know, they were doctors. They ha- they essentially did have access to resources that a lot of people don't have and still, you know, and yeah, like Graham, obviously I believe also has some responsibility. He knew she was struggling. She told him three times that she wanted to kill the kids. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he obviously isn't responsible for the deaths, but I feel like there was just a failure by a lot of different people, by Lauren herself, you know, on a lot of different people to kind of realize the severity of the situation and to act upon it before it got to that point. Yeah, I agree. It shows that Again, we've said this like many episodes that mental health isn't always taken seriously and people, even though they were medical professionals, like we said, don't always know the signs and the severity of mental health issues like depression and things like that. This is, it's interesting just now I'm thinking about it. This is kind of the third doctor case just off the top of my head that I can think of that we've covered. And the others are different. I remember 
the Dr. Patel who drove his family off the cliff in the Tesla. He was a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't really, shouldn't have resorted to that. He would have known, but I think in that case, he really thought they were all going to die. And then the other one is the dentist who poisoned his wife. Mm-hmm. Obviously all very different, but there's, there's all these people that have, um, you know, resources, knowledge and all that type of stuff. Well, wasn't Lindsay Clancy was a nurse too, wasn't she? Yeah, she was a registered nurse. I think she was. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, four, I guess they have four. And you could also say working in the medical field of these last few years has probably been super stressful. Stressful. Yeah. Because one with the pandemic itself, um, the nurses and doctors that I know, it was like horrific and traumatizing for a lot of them. And now, even though we're through the pandemic, so many um, medical professionals are still just like exhausted and burnt out from that. And a lot of people quit and left the people that are still working. They're very short staffed in hospitals and places like that. So a lot of people are being overworked, which it's just like more stress, not sleeping and just feeling frustrated with life in general. And even when I just, I, like now that I'm thinking about it, even just this last week, there was a doctor from New York State who went into her daughter's, her baby daughter's bedroom at 7 a.m. and shot the baby and then shot herself. Like, so she was a very highly respected cancer doctor. Um, we haven't really learned, her name was Crystal Cassetta, I think is how you say it or so we haven't really learned too much more, but always I see comments online like, what mother would do this? Mothers never do this. It actually happens fairly regularly, you know, for whatever, obviously for different reasons in each case, but absolutely mothers do murder their children. Um, it's, yeah, it seems to be, I don't even know, I don't want to say increasing, but it seems like we just hear about it all the time. Well, life is pretty stressful these days in general. Like it wasn't, you get into like a big, debate about society and the economy and all that but I think for most people life is more stressful now than it was a couple years ago yeah we we do I feel like we do cover these cases a lot especially on our Instagram and our social media we post articles about them when they do happen we did a lot on Lindsay Clancy we've got an episode on her an earlier one if you want to listen to that there was a case I've been reading about um it's about a woman named Genevieve Lemit I think is how you say last name she was from Belgium but she killed her son and her four daughters in 2007. They were aged three to 14 while their father was away. So her case is a little bit similar to Lauren's in that she tried to take her own life too, but she failed. So she was sentenced to life in prison in 2008, but she was eventually moved to a psychiatric hospital in 2019. But earlier this year, she was euthanized at her own request because in Belgium, the law allows for people to choose to be euthanized if they are suffering from unbearable psychological and not just physical suffering that cannot be healed. Hmm. So, you know, I feel like Lauren, that's Lauren's story as well. She always said that basically she just wanted to die to end it all. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. The different cases where these similar crimes happen, it's very interesting. Um, All right. Well, that is it for this episode. If there's any updates and I put a clip in, we'll discuss it next time we record. Not really sure what's going to go on with that. But yeah, hopefully everything will be up to date. Interested to hear what everyone thinks about this one because I was reading comments online and it's, of course, one that people have many opinions about. So we'll be interested to see what you guys think. So thank you guys for listening. Check out the blog on this episode. It'll be up on truecrimesocietyblog.com if you want to read more about it. And you can follow us on Instagram at truecrimesociety. We're always posting updates there on all different cases going on. You can follow our personal accounts. Mine is StephSum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia. And check out our Patreon if it's something that you're interested in. You can listen to 
all the episodes ad free. Well, all the episodes when we started Patreon going forward ad free. I've been trying to add some older ones as we go, but we'll see. <laughs> it's time consuming, but I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, check that. We do like little mini episodes. We've been doing them pretty much weekly so far. So it's a lot going on over there. Yeah. And if you listen on Spotify, whatever platform, make sure you're actually subscribed and following us. It's a big help to us and leave us some good reviews, positive feedback. We love all that. Share it with your pals. Thank you guys for listening again. Stay safe. Stay safe.